HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My name is Brandon Boy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. I feel bad because it's really not arts and seizures today. It's only arts. Judy's here. Mike is gone. Mike is at Coachella pretending he's uh, 19 years old again, um, hanging out with his friends in the blues explosion. But today I'm joined, well, I have Jack here running the booth, which is great. And hi, Jack. Hey, I wasn't aware that you were the arts and Mike was the seizures. Who would el- who else would be the seizure? No, it, it makes sense. It uh, makes I support sense. it. I just didn't know we, we formalized that. Um, we, I just formalized it. Awesome. Um, today, today we have Pat Ivers is joining us, who's part who, along with Emily Armstrong, has this fantastic exhibit at NYU Fails Library down in part of their downtown collection called Go Night Clubbing. Welcome, Pat. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. So, Danceteria. I mean, it was my favorite club when I was a youngster, even when I was underage, <laughs> because we used to be able to do that kind of thing back then. We like to be illegal. Can you tell people listening a little bit about Danceteria and what made it so special? Well, Danceteria was amazing. Uh, Jim Farratt and Rudolph were the guys that ran it, and really their gift was putting a staff together. Our staff included people like Keith Herring. He was one of our busboys, uh, which is amazing. 
Uh, so we used to have his art hanging in our video DJ booth. Wow. Uh, David Wanarovich, who also is a, a, a famous artist, he was also a busboy. It was just an extraordinary group of people. Zoe Leonard, who has a big exhibit in the Biennial at the Whitney right now, uh, she was a, the coat check girl. I mean, it was just an extraordinary group of people. Our iteration, which was the original danceteria on West 37th Street, was open from 10 o'clock at night till 8 o'clock in the morning. Completely illegal, <laughs> despite the fact that we would run full-page ads in the Village Voice. Yeah. And uh, it was an amazing place to work. We were given the third floor uh, to create a video lounge, and we set up all these little kitschy living room settings, and we would show music from our archive of videos that I had shot of bands all over downtown from like 1975 to then 1980. Weird found footage that we collected, artist videos from friends of ours who were artists who were doing stuff. And when the bands were on, I would go down to the first floor and shoot the bands and the video would then get fed upstairs to the video lounge. So it was, it was, it was a ton of fun. I mean, I, the the just the sheer number of bands that you have. What was it like? Eighty two bands. Yeah. Um, it seems like there's even more, like Heartbreakers. Oh, everything. Pylon, Pulse Lama, like Johnson. There's also so many ghosts. I know. I mean, Howie Montauk. Oh, um, yeah, I know. I you know, we lost a lot of incredible people, but I also say, you know, something: the people who lived. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> no real business living is what you're trying to say. A little bit, a little bit. I'm just so blessed that they're still with us. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's just, it, it's an incredible show. And NYU has sort of recreated it, although the lighting is a little bright. And the smell, is, it's a little antiseptic smell. Yeah, we need we need sort of that, that kind of beer smell that, that you always have in clubs. And ashtrays, they actually have ashtrays on well, the Well, we designed tables. it, so we, we, we brought in the ashtrays. I wanted to, like, leave little straws and razor blades, because that would have really <laughs> made it official. But, yeah, uh, I was thinking that. And the, and the sofas are very clean, and but it is NYU. And the bar has no booze. Well, that's true. Uh, I, I sort of wish that, that I could be there more and, and I could serve <laughs> booze to the right people. So, so who are some of your favorite people to film? You guys filmed so many people. Oh, my um, God. Uh, well, I loved Pylon. They were absolutely amazing. Uh, they're from Georgia, right? They are. They're from Athens, Georgia. And the fact that they didn't become superstars is one of those perplexing mysteries to me. Uh, you know, we did the heartbreakers over and over. I mean, from, you know, actually... Originally, I, I worked with five guys, uh, and we called ourselves Metropolis Video in 1975. And we shot the, uh, I think it was the second show the Heartbreakers ever did with Richard Hell uh, at CBGB's. They were, we were doing the uh, Unrecorded Band Festival in 1975, and our first night we shot Blondie, The Talking Heads, Damn. and The Heartbreakers with Richard Hell. And it was, it was their, their second date. What did you What did you think of them back then? Did you Did you think they would become these icon, icons? And... I always. I mean, well, I saw Patti Smith in 1974 at Max's uh, with television mm -hmm. uh, when they were a three piece act, still with Richard Hell, and I felt like I had seen God. You know, I I thought 
hey, there's a shift here, everything has changed, and I was obsessed with recording the scene. And people would make fun of me. I mean, the guys in Metropolis video dumped me after a year because they just said I was insane because we weren't making any money. Uh, and then, thank God, I met Emily, and we started working together, uh, I guess, in 1976, and we started shooting from that point on. And uh, I always knew. Because it's so, I mean... I used to go to shows back then. I have some pictures, but it just, I'm so glad that you guys did it because there's this archive and now people can see it at NYU. I know. I used to sit at the bar. I mean, you know, I used to, we used to live at CBGB's. We mm -hmm. were just a few blocks away from, from uh, our house. And um, I remember sitting at the bar at the end of the night with Joey Ramone one night and he said to me, I don't understand it. I, I don't understand why, why people more people don't like us you know like why you know we can't break out of like this like why aren't people buying our records he, and i said i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i don't know either there was such a great pop band they weren't getting promoted well yeah i mean there was a real prejudice against punk like in the the collective that that ran music so you know. yeah i mean i remember the first time hearing about the sex pistols when i was probably like 12 or something and my mother was like, this is horrible. And I thought, this is horrible. Then I was like, maybe not. And it sort of like piqued my interest. And we were living in New Jersey across the river, which was very big when you're like 13 or so. Um, but it was, it was such, a, you know, once I started being able to go to shows and stuff, it was such an incredible time in New York City. I it mean, was extraordinary. I mean, you would go to, you'd go to a bar and, and you'd be sitting at the bar talking to someone and, and basically they would you know, pick themselves up and go on stage. I mean, it was an incredibly small scene. And you, you know, their sweat would fall on you. You know, it was so close. It was what amazing. Kind of, I mean, video equipment back then was so unwieldy. Now oh, you can take a beautiful video with your phone, pretty much. No, it was like carrying a Buick on your shoulder. I mean... <laughs> You know, for a couple of girls, me and me and Emily, I mean, we used to drag that crap up and down. We lived, we both lived in the same building. She had an apartment on the fourth floor. I had one on the third floor. We would drag that stuff up and down the stairs, big anvil cases. I'm sure people don't even know what an anvil case is, but it's a <laughs> giant steel case filled with equipment. And, uh, you know, we would get home at like five o'clock in the morning because we were the first ones there, the last ones to leave. And then sometimes if we rented stuff, we would have to return it the next morning. Wow. It was, uh, we were tough. Yeah, you were tough. That's and why we were skinny. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get a big anvil case to carry around with me. I should start doing it again. <laughs> Screw CrossFit. <laughs> um, let me see. So, so um, what, what did you think of the CB's movie? Did you see that? I did. I think it was made by well-meaning people. Yeah. Like, I used to work with John Holmstrom, and he was a big champion of it because his lettering is throughout it. Oh, but. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, John's contribution was fantastic. Yeah, it really... And, you know, and Cheetah's contribution was it was fantastic. I mean, you know, the, the people who contributed to it were fantastic. And it was very, I think, you know, there was no ill will in it. Uh, I think the story has yet to, been, to really be told effectively. Uh, you know, I'm glad that they, they showed what a mensch Hilly was, because Hilly was the bomb. He was so wonderful, so nice. And and, that, that, and Alan Rickman really kind of captures that. Well, he's he's such a great actor. Yeah. And there really was dog shit everywhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's no lie. <laughs> you dodged that. <laughs> no. It was, um... Yeah, the Salukis, these big skinny dogs that would just crap all over everything. 
when do you what do you think killed the club scene in New York? I mean, I really feel like it ended at some point in the eighties. Yeah, I well, you know, we used to say that the first thing that went wrong was uh, Studio Fifty Four closed and rich people came downtown with their cocaine and their their money, right, to like the mug club and stuff, and yeah, we're slumming it a little bit. Yeah, um, so you know, I don't know. It, you know, every time has its time, and it had its time, and then it went away. I feel like back then, too, like, pre-AIDS and just as AIDS was happening, like, the crowds were really mixed. It was straight and gay. It was really fun. And then it became really divided for a long time. I think in places like Bushwick, it's more mixed again now. But in Manhattan, it seems to be very... It was very... I mean, you know, uh, (laughs) it was very mixed, as I recall it, you know? Yeah. Uh, You know, no one... You know, the... The 70s was really kind of, I think, like uh, sort of the original peak of bisexuality. Yeah. And, you know, people don't really talk about that much, but that was a happening part of the scene. Well, yeah, like David Bowie. Well, I guess Mick Jagger never really came out and said he was bisexual, but um, Elton John was bisexual for a while. But I Um, mean, you know, people on on the street, there was a lot of that going on at CBGB's and no one really cared about it. I mean, it was just what was happening. Sex was so free then. Right. Uh, And it was really when AIDS happened that I think, you know, things really got crazy because, you know, people were dying. I mean, it's just just, when I think back on on the people that we lost during that period to AIDS, it's just heartbreaking. Uh, The manager of of, uh, Dance Terry was a guy named Yolo Carew who was just fantastic. And he was the first person I ever knew who uh, was diagnosed. And it was uh, just heartbreaking when he died. And it was it was so much faster. I mean, oh, yeah. it was so fast and so ugly. Um, you know, th- I mean, that, I was surprised that that was what really struck me so so hard at, at your exhibit because because just seeing all these young, vibrant faces and stuff. Um, oh, I know. You know, and I'm a huge Wonorovich fan. Like, oh, David was so wonderful. Oh my God, he was just the greatest. Uh, and you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I wish I'd been with you at the exhibit. I could point out all the pictures of David on the wall. There's like tons of pictures of David on the wall. Uh, you know, we have we have uh, one wall that's all Danceteria employees, and there's a lot of pictures of David. Um, he was just the greatest. He's such a great artist, and he was wasn't he even Three Teens Kill Four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, three. You know, interestingly, Three Teens Kill Four had their first date. You know, the 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 original Danceteria was shut down by the police. There was one night, uh, the Go-Go's and I think Jane County were playing and uh, had a little knock on the door. I opened my VJ booth door and there was a man standing there with a mustache and a brown leather jacket. And I just said, <laughs> oh, no. And he looked at me and he said, do you work here? And I said, yes. And he said, you are under arrest. And they just arrested all the employees. And uh, we, we spent the night in jail. And NYU has your ticket. Yes. <laughs> on display. Yes, that is correct. And, uh, you know, in the end, basically everything was dropped uh, except for some poor straw boss fall guy who, who, who took the rap. But uh, we had a party right after that called the Staff Infection Show. And it was for all the ex-employees because the club was closed. We had nothing to do. And uh, that was the first performance of Three Teens Kill Four. 
Wow. And uh, it also had another another person in it, Max Blagg, who was a, an English poet, and he he was in the original lineup, and but uh, he didn't he didn't stay with them for too long. He went on to do a Gap commercial, didn't he? He <laughs> did. He will never he, live down. He, that is true, but he is a consummate artist, an amazing poet. I just bought an incredible piece of art from him. Uh, he is, you know. I was so happy when he made that Gap ad because, you know what? Everybody needs to get paid. Yeah, somebody's getting paid. Yeah. Well, we're going to hear a song now um, from from your website. Tell us a little bit about what we're going to hear. It's Pylon, I believe, right? Oh, it's Pylon. Uh, that was We shot that at Danceteria. Um, you know, the bands would go on at 1, 3, and 5 o'clock in the morning. So this one, I think... This was the second show, so I'm thinking that this one was somewhere between 3 and 5 in the morning. It was so hot in this club. It was always like 90 plus degrees. And if you could see the video, which sadly you can't, you would see the sweat pouring off the band. And they were amazing. But people can go to GoNightClubbing.com. Yes, they can. And they can see it themselves. Can you play that for us, Jack?
That was Pylon. Um, so one of the things in, in the videos is you guys have a lot of great old found footage. And you didn't have YouTube. How did you come up with these old ads, these old like movie trailers? Well... Friends, we had a lot of friends in the business. Uh, you know, we were in the business ourselves, you know, the TV business. And uh, people would have collections, you know, because they would, they, they would have stuff that they would be editing at work and, you know, they would trade for stuff. So it was like this, this weird little burgeoning underground thing. We're going to hear um, one commercial that really stuck out when I was, watch- when I was sitting at NYU today. Double, like a 007 cologne commercial. Can we play that? If you don't give your man 007, I will. If your man lives for excitement, give him 007. There's a 007 gift set for every assignment. This one packs the full line, including 007 aftershave, hairdressing, and cologne. That's 007 for the license to kill women. When you use 007, be kind. <laughs> what in the hell was that? Well, you know, we were really feminists, uh, Emily and I, and so a lot of the footage that we like to show were ones that really challenged gender stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that was sort of a thing. <laughs> that was one of them. That we would do. And it would also be sort of deconstructing media imagery. Uh-huh. So you could sort of laugh at it. No, it, it, went, it went great. I mean, the, the, there's seven volumes, he said? <laughs> there's, there's seven hours of, of uh, crazy footage, yes. Yeah, and I mean, if you're walking around the, the village, you can just stop in NYU, show your ID, go up to the third floor in the library on Washington Square South. And, um, I mean, you had the cramps. Like, they were one of my favorites. Oh, mine too. The I, cramps were just unbelievable. And, and, and I think the videos that we that we have like like a, like an hour and a half of cramps so we're showing just a little teeny weeny bit how of do it. you just like how do you even decide what to edit and can you can you just make these available to people or is getting the rights too prohibitive getting the rights is 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 something that we will investigate yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know it's it's not easy because you probably didn't have people signing releases back then no no, uh, although, you know, there, there is sort of a thing about uh, if you are standing in front of the person with a video camera, which I was standing, and I'm not lying, less than two feet away from whoever I was shooting, I was on top of them and in their face. I was so close to them. Uh, everyone knew that I was shooting. It was never a secret. It wasn't like I was in the back with a cell phone. I mean, right. I was like literally on top of them on the stage. So... Everyone knew that I was shooting them. I would say that we own the rights to the images. Right. But, but the, the rights music. to the music is a whole other thing. So how did you guys hook up with NYU? And it's kind of ironic that NYU has a downtown collection when they are basically eating downtown. They have an amazing man, Marvin Taylor, who works at the library and is in charge of the downtown collection. And he's a real visionary. Uh, and he decided to curate this thing and he acquires works from artists who uh worked downtown from i think it's like 1965 to 1985 i think that that's the the bubble of time and he acquires their papers their photos their their art um you know he acquired our videos 
and um, and he makes them available to scholars and 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 keeps them, which is you know very important. Yeah, I mean, so many people their their archives died with them, their families just. My Emily, <laughs> my partner Emily, always said that she thought that uh, we would die. And her kids would throw our videos out into a dumpster. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Mom was so embarrassing back then. Like, so, uh, you know, we had them like in the closet on shelves in our apartments in the Lower East Side. And um, we just never knew what was going to happen to them. And uh, we had a friend who worked at NYU, Robin Johnsonback, who's an artist. And she hooked us up with Marvin. And uh, Marvin was into it. And God bless him. I mean, he, like I said, he's a real visionary. And, uh, you know, money sometimes works for the good. And yeah. the NYU money is working for the good here because we could never in a million years have, have been able to afford digitizing this collection. I was going to ask. So they took care of digitizing everything. They took everything. care of everything. That's amazing. Are you it, still took, it took like a year. Wow. Did you guys go in and re-edit stuff, or did you have them already cut for, like, the video lounge? No, no, no. So... We gave them all the raw footage. It's like 200 hours of raw footage. And so we, uh, they have, they have discs and files, and we have discs and files. So I can re-edit whatever I want at home. That's, that's, you know, we're doing a show at the Museum of, Mod of, of Art and Design starting in the middle of April. Oh, great. And we're going to be do doing screenings for 10 weeks. So what, if you, if what's you go the date? The, um, it's, I think it's, it's, it's the, 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 I think it's the third Friday in April and it goes till the first week in June. But if you go to the Museum of Art and Design website and look under cinema, you'll see the shows. They're going to be on Thursdays and Friday nights. Oh, fantastic. And, and they'll be at an early hour for grandma. They're going to like be at me. six o'clock. They're <laughs> going to be at six o'clock. It's, it's, it's a totally, uh, you know, good time for people. Yeah. Cause you know, those of us who went to clubs back then, we used to stay up late. Now we we wake up early, I guess. Yeah. So it's good. It'll be like in one hour bites and, and we're, we've got them organized in different themes. Like there's a live girls and rockabilly boys show and nice. modern music for like the new wave people. And, uh, you know, greatest hits, our own personal favorites, a punk one, a local band one. It's, it's good. It'll be fun. Oh, fun. Well, and the NYU show is up until June, that's right? A, yeah, that's up until June. You can just drop on by. Thank you so much for coming by. We're going to go out with Pulsalama. Can you tell us a little bit about Pulsalama? I love this song. I love Pulsalama. I love those girls. Uh, my friend Paul Dougherty, who uh, you know I, I shot my first punk video with, was the director on this video. And he allowed us to use it in the, uh, uh, the the Go Night Clubbing Video Lounge. And it's just a hoot. It's about uh, someone who uh, may or may not have Tourette's Syndrome. <laughs> or might be possessed. Or might be possessed. Well, thank you, Pat Ivers. It's been another week of uh, Arts and Seizures. We'll see you next week. It's been great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Donald?
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.